Brut, New Art on Stage. Welcome everybody to the ninth edition of the Art of Assembly, this time with the title Reassembling Institutions. This episode is based on a live event on October 30, 2021 in Bergen, Norway, in the frame of Meteor Festival. My name is Florian Malzach. I'm hosting the Art of Assembly, which is a nomadic series of lectures and conversations conceived together with Boot Vienna and for this episode in cooperation with BIT Theater Garage in Bergen, whom I'd like to thank uh, very much, especially Caroline Sukot and Sven Bekeland. I'm very happy to be joined by, in order of appearance, Nora Sternfeld, Ahmed Al-Nawas and Sarah Waterfeld from the collective Staub zu Glitzer, Dust to Glitter. In the Art of Assembly, we look at the potential of assemblies in activism, art and politics. If you have missed past episodes, for example, the very last one with Judith Butler and Max Haven, you might want to check out our website, art-of-assembly.net with a lot of videos, podcasts, and other material. And there you find also a newsletter if you want to subscribe. Today, we look at a very specific aspect of our topic. We look at the role of institutions, specifically art institutions. And this is, of course, a very broad topic, which we will not cover. Um, but uh, we will maybe try to find our own way through it. And it's a topic which, of course, is very has been very viral, especially within the, the visual art, uh, for example, as a genre of institutional critique. And I don't need to go into details of this, but just maybe just a few remarks as a reminder, a kind of backdrop of uh, today's conversation also to see what was the development before. So very roughly said, there was a first wave of institutional critique, meaning of artists dealing in their artistic work with their critique towards institution that uh, was in the 1960s, 70s with artists like Robert Smith and De Daniel Boer and Hans Hake and others. And in a way, this, this wave defined itself often uh, by a resistance or a refusal towards institution, by creating an outside uh, and, and, and uh, defining the artistic work outside of this institution. The second wave, um, since the late 1980s, with uh, artists like Andrea Fraser and Fred Wilson, much more understood their institutional critique by looking at the role of the artist within the institution. So their feeling was a movement between an inside and an outside of the institution is no longer possible. The structures of the institution have become totally internalized, actually. So Andrea Fraser uh, said famously, quote, we are the institutions. It is because the institution is inside of us and we can't get outside of ourselves, end of quote. So in the first wave, so there was an idea of a distance of a possible outside of an institution and the second wave address the inevitable involvement within the institution. And then there came a maybe third wave, also called new institutionalism, from around the year 2000, uh, where actually new organization in the structure of art institutions um, kind of like changed the image and alternative forms of institutional work were developed. And I would say that um, the Kunstenzentrums and Künstlerhäuser in, in Belgium, Germany, and so on, um, also fit into this uh, idea. So the new institution could be seen as an institution that internalized the critique, 
already. Um, as Andrea Fraser said, a shift from, quote, the critic of institutions to an institution of critique, end of quote. Institutional critique became an, quote, analytical tool, a method of political criticism, as Simon Sheik put it. So the curators themselves somehow became critics of their own institutions by, of course, being paid for that at the same time. Uh, modes of production, presentation and representations were being questioned by the institution itself and um, formats like research, labs and so on became part of the art institution. But at the same time, of course, the institutions were still part of a bigger representative power structure. So on one hand, there was symbolic integration of critique, but how much was it only superficially? There was a political integration of minorities and topics and so on, but how much was it at the same time just about maintaining social and social inequality? Institutional critique became mechanism of control also within new modes of governmentality, precisely through its very act of internalization. So it's an ambivalent shift. These new institutions created really big changes within the art field. Uh, and in the relationship between institutions and artists. And I think of a lot of them were, were or are very productive and very important. But at the same time, it made it also more difficult to, to unfold the critical potential of art. The assumption, in a way, from the institution is always, ah, yeah, we know already what you're going to say, we thought of it already, um, we are already dealing with it. And um, I remember that for example, Occupy Museum, um, a group from Occupy Wall Street in 2011, went to occupy the, the foyer of, uh, of MoMA in New York. And when they were there, immediately the curators came and basically said, let's talk, uh, let's talk. And yes, what are your ideas? And they, they kind of, Occupy Museums kind of refused this offer because they said, but we know what you're going to say. We know that you're going to agree with us, but that doesn't change anything. So how do you how do you change an institution that is already like preemptively saying uh, we agree with you and yes all the critique is deserved? So this is maybe the ambivalence of this, and I would say recently we can see a new momentum in institutions where the critique of power structures is even enhanced, and for example even in some municipal theaters in Germany. Um, the, the, the cities decided to hand over the directorship to collectives, for example, or there are finally more women, people of color, etc., entering these positions. But still, the question is, is this just an appeasement strategy or is this bringing about real change? And what change, actually? And at the same time, from another side, more and more institutions and not least art institutions, are under massive political financial pressure and fighting for survival. Uh, and at also at the same time, there's already a backlash to these new institutionalisms in many countries. If you just look at Hungary, Poland, and you could name many other, others, where institutions are being redefined by right-wing governments and positions are, are given to, to, um, to people aligned with these ideologies. And this is not uh, to point at these countries, but rather to say, they, also this is part of a broader uh, phenomenon and, and also visible in, in countries where maybe um, illiberal democracies are not 
not uh, being installed already. So today we maybe want not so much ask where are we now, but rather where do we go from here? Can institutions be driving forces of change? Or are they doomed to be bastions of the status quo, capable, capable only uh, of slow reforms at best? What would it actually mean to imagine institutions in a radical democratic way? How can we understand museums, theaters, galleries, festivals, biennials as assemblies? Not only symbolically, but by consequently renegotiating their organizational structures. But also, what role does art play in this? What happens to the criteria of quality, for example? Is this still a necessary criteria and how uh, can we define it today? So I'm very happy to welcome as the first speaker, Nora Sternfeld, who is an art educator and curator. Uh, she is professor for art education at the HFBK in Hamburg. And she uh, was from 2018 to 2020 documentary professor at the Konstruktschule Kassel. And before that, from 2012 to 2018, professor of curating and mediating art at Alto University in Helsinki. In addition, she is co-director of the ECM Master Program for Exhibition Theory and Practice at the University of Applied Arts in Vienna and in the core team of Schnittpunkt Ausstellungstheorie and Praxis and uh, co-founder of and part of Trafokka uh, Office of Art Education and Critical Knowledge Production in Vienna. And since 2011, she's also part of Freethought Platform for Research, Education and Production in London. In this context, she was also one of the artistic directors of the Bergen Assembly in 2016 and is since 2020 Buck Fellow uh, in Utrecht. She publishes on contemporary art, educational theory, exhibitions, politics of history and anti-racism. And I'm very, very happy that you're here and um, you're, of course, the perfect um, person to start off our conversation. Thanks, Florian. Um... It's it's really a pleasure to be here, and and to think together with uh, Ahmed and Sarah. Um, yeah, to come to let's see if we come this step further that you ask us to come. Definitely not with the lecture, but the lecture can maybe be a starting point. So my lecture is called the Radical Democratic Museum, which I have been working on in the last years. It, it was nice that you were re. Reminding us the history of institutional critique in museums and um, and the situation that at at some point in the 1990s and 2000s the question was um, more and more important how the critique of the museum can have consequences in the museum so that the museum itself would not only refer to it not only collect institutional critique, but take it seriously in somehow. Um, I, I will now propose the idea of a radical democratic museum, which means a museum that would not just assemble people sitting together in a circle, but take the conflict seriously. When I was here in Bergen as part of Free Thought, there was a very concrete conflict. Actually, the fire station was occupied by retired firemen. And 
the pro what I propose is to take such conflict seriously instead of being involved in the silencing process to see what we can do together. Um, for the Bergen Assembly, we decided to collaborate within the occupied fire station. We did the Museum of Burning Questions during the time of Bergen Assembly. And um, this was a this was in somehow what Oliver Mahat would call a pre-enactment. It was a collaborative imagination of what a Museum of Burning Questions in Bergen could be, in solidarity with the struggle of the retired firemen who already have been struggling before for a fire museum in Bergen. Now, it was a temporary alliance. We never wanted to collaborate forever. We thought that this struggle has started before we came, it will, be, it will go on when we leave. When, during Bergen Assembly, we were told that there will be a fire museum. So I hope you can tell me after the lecture if this is still true or was just one of these things that are said during processes of institutional critique. In order to come to this concept of a radical democratic museum, I have been looking at um, how we talk about institutions since the 1950s, especially about the museum. And um, as you might know, there is since 1946, so right after the Second World War, uh, uh, there is an institution that is called ICOM that is connected to the UNESCO that comes together in transnational meetings, assemblies since 1946 in order to discuss and define what a museum could be. Actually, they define not what it could be, they define what it is. And um, it's really interesting because as a museologist, I can tell you before 1946, this would not have been what museum would think a museum is. There was a clearly national self-definition, not very interested in transnational assemblies. But, of course, after the Second World War and within the beginning of a new of a new system of a new systemic transnational um, competition, it becomes interesting to come together. Of course, um, some countries came together to within these ICOM assemblies, and they defined together what a museum is. This is now a transnational definition that um, sounds universal, which is of course not universal, and it also sounds like a definition that would have been there forever and would go on forever. It sounds so much like that, that between 1946 and 2019, nobody ever asked if this would not be a universal definition. Until 2019, everybody was sure who works in a museum, has an ICOM card, can enter in any other museum in the world, was sure that a museum is a non-profit permanent institution in the service of society and its development, open to the public, which acquires, conserves, researches, communicates, and exhibits the tangible and intangible heritage of humanity and its environment for the purposes of education, study, and enjoyment. It's a definition that clearly speaks to us from the emerging welfare state. I mean, of course, it was another, it was another definition in 1946. It changed a bit. And you can, under this link, look at the history of every little small change. And every change came out of this acknowledgement of these UNESCO-like assemblies. Now, I think this museum is not a radical democratic museum. Um, it's 
it's very much a place um, that functions well in the in a certain set capitalist welfare state understanding in a transnational world in which the US um, has a huge role and where 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 the museum in is clearly a public institution and understands itself like this, but is not a place of conflict and not a place of change. Although, in many years before that, when the Louvre, during the French Revolution, was actually taken over by the people, there was already a much more radical democratic understanding of the museum. So 2019, something happened. At the assembly of ICOM, already before, the, uh, before it was 2007, it all started in 2007. So the last time that, that this definition was actually decided for was 2007, and already some of the people were pretty unhappy with this definition. They were like, no, no, this is not about what we have to discuss today. Um, and they started to organize themselves to come to another definition. Um, that then was presented at the assembly in 2019. So since 2019, there is, um, yeah, there is, in, actually I tell you already now, there is no definition because this definition did not go through. But um, at the assembly, they proposed museums are democratizing inclusive and polyphonic spaces for critical dialogue about the pasts and the futures, acknowledging and addressing the conflicts and challenging, challenges of the present. They hold artifacts and specimens in trust for society, safeguard diverse memories for future generations, and guarantee equal rights and equal access to heritage for all people. Museums are not for profit. They are participatory and transparent and work in active partnership with and for diverse communities to collect, preserve, research, interpret, exhibit and enhance understandings of the world, aiming to contribute to human dignity and social justice, global equality and planetary well-being. Um, Okay, some people were, were working on this really hard and also were fighting for it. And, but it did not go through because I think especially the French ICOM members said, look, it's very nice what you did. We understand that this is, um, this is what you want. It's a mission, but it's not a definition. So we really don't, we really don't understand what is going on here. We do, uh, we do definitions, but you propose something that you, act, you propose it with your, like, let's say, with the me neoliberal means of the 21st century. This is my criticism. And, I mean, they, ju they just want to stay with their French colonial universalism. They think this is not a universal definition, so they don't vote for it. But what I think is that this is not a way to come to a radical democratic museum. You cannot sit there like in a, like in a mission committee team assemble and say, okay, now let's say, where do we want to be in 2030? And then everybody puts some words in, and then you put these words together, and then you make this amazing definition that has all the keywords in it. And then you say, this is what a museum is. And everybody knows that this is not what a museum is. Actually, it, I think if this, I'm, I'm personally happy that this did not go through. Because if it would, it would just be one more huge institutional lie that teaches us to accept 
that what institutions say they do is not what they actually do. And that's why I think um, it's, uh, we are in a good situation, in, in an actually good situation, in an interregnum, because nobody believes in the old definition anymore, and the new definition did also not go through. So now we really don't know what the museum is. This is a good moment for the paramuseum. And, in the, and um, what I call the paramuseum, I think the Louvre was actually a paramuseum. It took over the museum of, uh, it took over the place where the, or the place of representation of the nobles and, and, and took it away, also reappropriated the things and changed their value completely and changed their appropriate, pro, um, pro, 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 no. Yeah, the ownership, changed the ownership completely because the ownership was then the ownership of everyone. And this is a para-institution, an institution that is able to take over and revalorize the value, to take over and change the meaning of what is there. This, so this is actually what we could demand from the museum to be. This is how I would define the museum. But para-museums are also something that many artists did in the last year. And this, Years. And this is interesting also in relation to the history that Florian was telling us, because while in the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s, artists thought in, when they did artworks in relation to museums, very often called the museum a mausoleum, a dead place, a place of petrification, uninteresting, terribly boring and something to go away from. But in the 21st century, they, they start to be interested in museums. They build museums all over the place. This is the very well-known project of Kadeatia, where he is collecting things that are repaired and undermining the logics of colonial divisions. This is Mesha Gaba Museums of Contemporary African Art. This is Voluspa Kappa, the Hegemony Museum at the Venice Biennial 2019 together with the subaltern portrait gallery. And I have, I have gathered many, many more examples. Artists became interested in appropriating the idea of the museum. Um, it could be because neoliberalism has made it so difficult to imagine something that would remain after we die, that museums become interesting, to claim a context that would remain to claim a context in which we can actually assemble to discuss what happened in the past, what it means for us today, and how we can, when we know that, imagine another future, becomes interesting. Because a context like that almost melted with um, these all the time changing trends and social media logics and so on. So this is why instead of... Um, believing all too much in this mission statement way of the new proposition for the ICOM definition, I decided to use the older one, the one from the 50s, in a para-institutional way and to take it very seriously and to read it so seriously that from within could come a para-museum program 
that would be, I think, related to Florian's understanding of the assembly, not as a place where people just sit together, but as a place where we imagine the world differently. And in this, um, and. Uh, in order to do this, I took the main parts of each of these definitions, actually, also the new one, which is um, <clears throat> collecting, um, arranging in space, organizing publics, producing knowledge, research, and education. And I turned it in these um, five parts of the program. Challenging the archive, reappropriating space, organizing counterpublics, producing alternative knowledges, and radicalizing education. So I, I propose that this is what a museum should do. This is actually not the definition. My definition would be a museum is a place where things and people come together in order to understand what happened, to discuss and, um, and fight about what it means today in order to imagine another possible future. And if this would actually be the definition of the museum, this would not be a Western concept. I learned that from Bonaventure and Kung. So this would be my definition. This is my program that I propose for you, for the museum, as a radical democratic institution. And in order to understand my own program, I have gathered in the last 10 years uh, many examples from art practices, activist practices, and so on. Um, and I will just, we will just quickly go through some images. So the first one is challenging the archive. Under it, we could find strategies of unsettling the powerful histories, of assembling material differently, strategies of talking back against the hegemonic narrative and canon, um, and actualizing the unarchivable. I think that Kader Atia is doing this in somehow, this actualizing the unarchivable. And the unarchivable would be would be the struggle that is um, actually not, that was never the, it was never the idea when the order of things was established to bring the struggle in, but it's there nevertheless. And I propose that this is actually what the museum should be about, to relate, to actualize these moments of, um, moments of conflict that are, in the archive, even though they are not archived deliberately. Um, and Kade Atia is doing su such a project. When he here for the Documenta uh, in 2012 showed things and showed objects and images referring to things and people who have been damaged and repaired during the First World War. Yeah, then I have many other examples of unsettling the archive. Um, here, Doreen Mende, Double Bound Economy, is a project that shows the capitalist imaginary of uh, GDR, um, GDR photographs of the fair, of the GDR fair. And many other things much more complicated than that, but I... Um, cannot unsettle it too much now because we don't have the time. React Feminism is a performing archive. You might know it, very interesting project on the history of, of feminist performance. And the question of how, actually also my question, if we, if, if the idea is to actualize the history of struggle, 
if this is what this would be about, how can we be faithful to the history? Is it to look at the documentary video of a performance? Is it to perform it again? Is it to discuss what it means? Is it to do something completely different in relation to it? How do we actually refer to the politicality of the history of feminist performance? This was the question of this project. Okay, many others. Reappropriating space is the second one. Here I have embattled places, interspaces and contact zones, but it's not so much our thing today, I think. Organizing counterpublics is more interesting for us. Um, because this is where we where we what well, this is in somehow what we want to do. And this is where assem assembling is not only to sit together. The question is how can we organize ourselves? And in the last years we have seen really interesting projects, and I think the two of you will talk about them, that um, are about m more than just coming together. It's about commoning the commons. It's about coming back to this idea, maybe also of the Louvre, to take away, to take back the commons from the capitalized neoliberal idea of the public. But also not only on the level of representation, but on a very structural level. So thinking about a different organizations, thinking about reorganizing structures and sharing surplus values. This is, um, I, I think, we, uh, this is, I think, what um, Ruan Grupa proposes, not only with the next documenta, but with their whole project in Jakarta, with Good School and their whole ecosystem. What they, what they propose is to enter the system in order to, to work in it with other economies. And I think you will also talk about this a bit with the whole problematic that comes with it. Um, questions of self-organization, question of, questions of critique as practice, and not only is, can, is critique something to collect? Is it something that we can face, be faithful to? Is it a lie? No, how can we actually work on it as a practice? Um, and this comes together with assemblies and hospitalities. I just show you very quickly some pictures about, um, that have been done by the artist Isa Rosenberger. I worked with her also here in Bergen about the Museum of Impossible Forms that Ahmed Al-Nawas has founded together with Christopher Wessels in the beginning. And he is here and he will talk about this and other projects that he is in the moment involved in. So I just quickly show the pictures. And then I show Juan Grupa. Yeah. Ruan Grupa is a collective who a collective of artists who have found, um, they founded this thing. Ruan Grupa actually means space group. They founded themselves as a space group in Jakarta in 2000. And um, from the very beginning, their idea was to be in spaces and share spaces and um, create collectivities that would um, always become broader, become blurred, be, and, and with strategies of, of um, creating alternative economies in which surplus value is produced and then shared in very unexpected ways. And it's absolutely not done in a critical way. So they would not say to Documenta, um, we, I mean, or to any other context in which they are, we want to criticize your German way to do something. In the very contrary, they would enter the logic and try to understand it and work with it differently. One example of the last uh, weeks is that uh, there is a 
ongoing thing with the artist list of Documenta. I don't know if you know that, but everybody in the art market always wants to know who will be at the next Documenta. And um, usually the economic logic says to the artistic directors not to make the artist list public before the last day. Nobody, nobody has to know it because if nobody knows it, then the market can, you know, function in its own way. What did Ruan Grupa do? They worked together with the local, it's also very important, Hes, he, from Hesia, the state of Hesia, the local um, magazine of homeless people and asked them if it would be okay for them three weeks ago to publicize the list of artists. So, of course, it was okay for them. It was a collaboration. They did it. And, yeah, if you wanted to know it, you had to buy the Homeless People magazine. And from there, it became public very early. And they will, it was only the first list. There will be another one and another one. And you will always have to buy the Homeless People magazine. Um, so this is just one of many examples. Another example is the fact that they actually organized the artists most of them collectives in groups so that when money comes in, for example, national money or money from a gallery, um, they will never know if they really gave it to the, the person from their nation because they work in groups. So the way how this, this money is actually um, spent and decided um, is part of a collective process. Another one, uh, Friderizianum, the main space of Documenta will be a dormitory. So this is a clear, beside the fact that it will be a school also, as they say, or something, a place of learning and unlearning. But this is also an intervention in the tourist economy of the small town of Kassel, where they can really take for a bad two, three, four hundred euros uh, during the time of Documenta. So to create very cheap sleeping places is another kind of intervention. Okay, so you see, um, it's, it's not only critique, it's trying to enter, to reappropriate the institution. And I think here I end because I talked far too long. Thank you, Noah, very much. And um, our next speaker is Ahmed Al-Nabas. Uh, he is an art worker based in Helsinki, and his practice is focused on collaborative knowledge production and content building. And his recent collaborative project, Fake Star, with the artist Mina Henriksen, was exhibited in 2020 at Turku Art Museum. And he created the Checkpoint Helsinki's public program series, Remembering Silences, in 2015 and 16. And he has been a co-founder of two art spaces in Helsinki, Third Space and Museum of Impossible Forms. And I guess you will have a complex view on what uh, assemblies and collective work in art institutions uh, are about. It was quite difficult for me to uh, talk about projects that I'm not any. I was a co-founder, quite a key um, figure in co-founding them, but I'm not anymore involved in them. And uh, and immediately I know for the ones who will see the video, colleagues, I'm not talking on your behalf. This is what I'm going to represent. <laughs> it's an autobiography that uh, text that I wrote uh, 2017 when I was still involved in the Museum of Impossible Forms in a quite a crucial uh, um, way uh, and uh, uh, this text uh, is not published so um, and it's my own version and in this text uh, I will try to touch open uh, 
a lot of things uh, that uh, both Nora already talked about and Florian from an experience, uh, one of the first experiences I had uh, when I was a student. So um, let's see what happens. I, I never uh, read it aloud. So I was still an art student back then when I attended the first meeting. We sat on a cold, dirty vinyl floor in an empty 10 square meter brick and mortar space. I did not know anyone from the five attenders, except my South African new friend Christopher Vassels. He was my sparring partner at Professor Nora Stenfer's discursive class. We both studied uh, in Alta University where Nora was teaching at the time. The two of us would often hijack the classroom by extensive critical debates around postcoloniality and the problems of art institutions. After one of these classes, back in 2012, Christopher invited me to join the formation of Undefined Space. His Mexican classmate has managed to rent a tiny shop space in the heart of Helsinki Design District, 10 square meters. What a magnificent achievement, I thought. Renting any space, despite having the money for it, in an ex, uh, exenof uh, xenophobic and structurally racist environment is a long struggle for someone like us, precarious non-white immigrants. After a short introduction round, uh, introduction round, it became inevitable that everyone in the meeting shared similar interests. At the time, I believed that equality is acquired and not given by an institution. I saw this call as an opportunity to engage by doing, which I found necessary to accompany the already existing critical discourse offered by colleagues and activists. I felt as if it was a time to finally test all that radical and critical theory, which uh, Florian mentioned, which was studied and kept here, like uh, kept repeated in endless biennials, uh, biennials and art talks. Along with my political desire, I also had a personal ambition. I dreamed about a space where I could practice and form a, uh, a career without taking the offered position of entrepreneurship, nor losing the level of autonomy in working for an institution, nor having to rely on a patronage running after private funders. Beside desires, we also shared necessity, and we acted out of this necessity. As immigrants and border people, queer sub people who also joined the, the group later on, and uh, we lacked equal access to the Finnish art scene. The necessity was to rethink the elitism being nurtured by the gallery system, the need to be independent but still engage at the uh, 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 in engage, uh, and then also the need to have a space where failure is embraced and a counter in a as a counter normative, normative action. The necessity to interrogate why there is a disproportionate absence of non-white, queer and feminist art and artists in the Finnish art scene. I'm talking about 2012. Now before, let's say, Black Lives Matter uh, movement uh, became uh, internationally known, um, it was a moment where um, Populism was quite high in Finnish context. It was before the 2015 uh, flow of refugees. So it was a moment where 
quite si everything was quite silent uh, when uh, a post-colonial or a feminist uh, uh, and Me Too was not still uh, so popular. So it was this moment at that time. And also the necessity to reject the narrow multiculti option offered by institutions as a solution to our marginality. And the necessity to create what Okwe Enweser calls parallel economy of production, as opposed to alternative spaces. Therefore, choosing the notion of third space as a theoretical from, uh, framework and name for our collective was at least for from from. For, for me, a logical attempt born out of agitation against the rep uh, reproduction of classificatory categories and essentialist thinking. We wanted to invent space that initiate new signs of identity and innovative sites of collaboration and contestation. Or, as Christopher Vassels calls it, a space for radical openness. Laclau and Moffat call it radical democracy. Um, Vassals drew his idea from bell hooks, uh, from uh, her book, The Margins, uh, from the margin to the center, feminist theory. For hooks, spaces that act as a community for resistance are necessary to push against oppressive boundaries set by race, sex, and class domination. In a state of forming another artist-run gallery, our first meeting implosively ended up creating a radical art project. We understood that our surviving depends on our ability to conceptualize parallels. So, to seek new knowledges and experiences, one need to abandon the existing models. To organize, to organize meant to improvise. We divided rent, and maintenance cost among ourselves. Remember, it's 10 square meters, so it's not that expensive yet, but expensive, I mean, for students, but we are now at that time six. To organize, uh, sorry, we divided and, uh, the cost and the maintenance, and through the forces of love and guilt, we managed to unstructurally administrate logistical and technical tasks through monthly rotations and voluntary signups with a minimal pre-determinant set of orders, each member took responsibility for their own curatorial projects. And since we were students at Alta University, we had the right to loan technical equipment, and we took advantage of it. The benches that we had in the space were from the university, the projectors, the sound system, and even sometimes toilet papers. I mean often, not sometimes. Each, collect each collective, uh, collectivity allowed, uh, uh, such a collectivity, sorry, allowed us sovereignty and, at the, uh, and the privilege of autonomy. Meanwhile, our position of radical openness became a tool to, for a political uh, agi uh, agitation. We radicalized our curatorial strategy, strategy by refusing to reproduce the Finnish art scene structure. We offered the space to artists without asking for rent. Our curatorial choices aim to dealing from what, what we thought uh, is an appealing, creative, or innovative and non-harming art. We didn't want to do that. We chose to work with mainly precarious colleagues whose art, artistic medium and content locates at the margins. 
I knew that locating ourselves at the margins is necessary, but never thought that it would be so emotionally demanding. It turned out that being in such a marginal position did not automatically mean that all, all collective members share similar strategies to counter the existing alienation. Also, with practice, it became clear that handling the demands of running space for radical openness with an improvised structure might lead to an inequality in the division of labor. Conflict over who cleans the space, for example, might reveal the hidden hierarchy inside the collective. Finding a suitable form for such a pluralistic and non-hierarchical groups meant that we had to engage eternally in, in internal contestation, uh, eternal in contestation on what the collective is about, what unites us, who suffers the most, and who should we recognize, uh, um, and how should we reorganize? Such debate recurred every time we had to take a collective decision. Imagine, every time. So we are talking about now almost every second day. Often such debates could be exclusive, but transform, trans, uh, transformative as well. Do not mistake the margin as a safe place. As, uh, and as Hooks say, locating oneself, there is, uh, locating oneself in the margin uh, there is a difficult, yeah, it's, it's difficult but yet necessary. I knew that locating ourselves at the margins is necessary, but never thought that it would be so emotionally demanding. Yeah, I said that before. So, after two years of, of, of my experience in, in, in third space, all members at that time, after two years, uh, agreed and understood that we need to go forward. But again, we couldn't, we couldn't come into terms what we mean by forward. Uh, which direction is forward? Um, is it institutionalizing or keeping the same structure which is unstructured? Uh, is it to become more professional in, in sense of keeping a gallery or radicalize it more? This experience, my experience in third space, was a crucial for me in theorizing, along with Christopher Vassels, the grounds for the second experiment. Some of us, I mean, I was, I have to admit, I was lobbying for, for a change. So I kind of wanted to take Bill Hook's uh, idea of the margins as the center, like literally. I wanted to go into exile. I wanted that we take this place into the margins, go to the suburb and experiment ourselves there. Um, by going into exile, then our understanding of art and what we do will change because it, it's, not, it's not anymore in this kind of a very understandable, tolerating space. We have to think about our project again. So, um, I think what we I learned from from the dynamics from the th like the dynamics within the assembly in third space, the decision making process, the contact zone idea, or also the space of con constant redefining, de defining, and reconstructing who we are and what we do, 
uh, and the process of change and interruption, recoding of normative uh, values that we kind of that these are the contents that we wanted to work in in the exhibition and also in whatever we did for the audience was very necessary and and very um and very um um crucial for 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 me at that time um and i think this 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 what happens behind doors in such spaces are for from my understanding is more worth reflecting on rather than just focusing on the exhibition that this this kind of spaces make or the public program that appears to the outside i think this constant uh conflict and and also uh coming together that happening behind doors are very very it's it's the thing that makes this like what makes this experiment important i think and how to reflect this process of 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 uh uh this process in in what you do for the public without reproducing a social porno uh, what I'm, what i'm afra afraid of in, in, in castle but i, I think they are the, the 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 collective there is quite clever is not having a social porno is it social porno called i i, I think it's called social porno it's kind of like a reality tv i don't want to see a reality tv or like kind of re uh re um um reenacting assemblies that's not the thing yeah yeah i, I understand understand but this was also my concern uh, like when we were thinking about having a space where our experience in third space this backstage experience will be the experience of every project we do with every collaborative uh, mem like a group or member or uh, community we wanted literally to locate the margins as the center. It needs to take us out of our elitist bubble and help us unlearn our priv privilege as, uh, uh, while we're doing it. We need to rethink the margins as the center and move forward toward the con uh, conception. And of course, it was very clear from the beginning that it will be a place for postcolonial and feminist theory, decoloniality and queer. So we founded something along with other uh, mem uh, members of Third Space who decided to come with us. We founded something which we called the Museum of Impossible Forms. Now, it contains two phenomenons or structures that contradict each other. In other word, uh, words, it's an antithesis. Antithesis, right? F I mean, museum as a... Uh, um, Nora was discussing uh, the, the the historical um, um, structure that it brings with it, uh, as, uh, uh, and uh, institutions that um, uh, is known for uh, colonial practices, for um, uh, I mean involved in colonialism uh, or as a tool of colonialism, classification, uh, appropriation. Uh, and now, w with the current structure, I mean later, ah, nationalism, of course, and today it's, it's also, it contains the, 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 the kind of, if you look at the crit critically, the museum contains also link to dirty money, uh, money laundering, uh, 
save ha um, tax havens, etc. So it's it's kind of a it's it's a it's heavy. It's 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 historical. Uh, when you look at it, I mean, if you acknowledge it, uh, how do you call it? Uh, critically, it's quite a. Uh, dogmatic uh, uh, institution that carries a, a weight, a, a huge weight of problematics. While at the same time, impossible forms is the total opposite. It's something undefined, uh, yet it's something to become. It's something that is in a constant refiguration what it is and what it could be. And, um, and, um, the name, I mean, impossible forms, was something that Chris was very much interested in, especially um, um, while uh, looking at jazz. We studied jazz a little bit. How jazz, I mean, um, not all jazz, but um, ja um, how do you call it? Free jazz, improvisation, but you have the assembly. There is all like there is a set of order, but it's it's quite open to many things, new things to appear, and also uh, um, 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 we were thinking about uh, um, now I don't remember I have to finish, but I have this long, not long, the last uh, the last uh, thing that I wrote. Uh, it's sad, but remember, it's 2017, and I think it's still uh, relevant until today. My experience in these assemblies led to that I lost many good colleagues, close friends, and comrades. Many members left, including myself, and many new came. Uh, and. Uh, Many new members joined Third Space and also uh, Museum of Impossible Form to maintain its resistance. I still write about the experience because I do believe that theorizing about this experience aesthetically, critically, is an agenda for radical cultural practice. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ahmed, for this. And our last speaker is Sarah Waterfeld, and I'm quite sure you will have a um, slightly more positive view on the uh, possibilities of collective interventions and assemblies. Sarah Waterfeld is an author and scholar of literature. She has taught classes on transmedial strategies of political interventions at the University of Potsdam. Her transmedial two novel series Sex mit Gysi from 2015 and Was vom Humor übrig blieb 2016, both only in German, were a byproduct of her 2012 candidacy as the head of the German party Die Linke. She co-initiated B6112 and is a spokesperson for the collective Staub zu Glitzer, Das zu Glitter. And the Berlin collective Staub zu Glitzer is best known for the occupation slash transmedia performance B6112 at Volksbühne am Rosa-Luxemburg-Platz in Berlin. Uh, since then, they have participated in many other struggles and occupations in Berlin. And um, it's maybe important to say, for those who don't know the Volksbühne in Berlin, that this is probably the most iconic theater in, in, in Berlin. Uh, so it's not a theater at the margins. It's quite the opposite. It's really 
very much in the center of attention also, not only in Berlin Mitte, in the center of Berlin, but also in the center of uh, media uh, uh, attention, etc. And um, after uh, the very long, over 20-year directorship of Frank Kastorf, uh, this theater got into quite some turmoil with new directorships and so on. And about this, uh, Sarah will talk. Thank you for being here. Okay. Hello, everybody. I'm Sarah. And thank you, Florian, for inviting me. And thank you all for listening to me. Um, today, I want to talk about uh, B6112. And B6112 uh, is a transmedia theater staging. And it started at the 22nd of September in 2017 at the Volksbühne am Rosa-Luxemburg-Platz in Berlin. And because this transmedia piece of art is still not over yet, I also want to welcome you to our artwork, because this is a rabbit hole. Uh, that means it is an entry point to our story universe, and you're all welcome, uh, welcome to uh, participate now, today, and in the future. And at the same time, it's a teleological uh, piece of art. That means... We are doing all this for years now, for four and a half years, uh, for a goal. And the goal is to um, develop a new state theater model with a very large group of people uh, within a performative and collective theater production. Um, I would speak. I would like to speak very briefly about the theory because I know that many people are not interested in theater theory. So, <laughs> I would. This is just very short. So, mm, transmedia. I don't know if uh, if transmedia theater is a, a thing in Norway. I mean, this is. I don't know. Is this. Yeah. Is it okay? Um, um, yeah, it was in 2011 at the book fair in Frankfurt, Germany, that a group of people came together and uh, formulated a, a manifesto, the Transmedia Manifesto. And the manifesto consists of 11 very short theses and describes uh, transmedia storytelling in general. Uh, for example, they say uh, there's not a, a single narrative thread, uh, but there's a whole story universe, and they say that uh, anyone can participate, and it's not uh, they're not uh, uh, readers or listeners or the audience anymore, but they're experiences, and they can create the story themselves. And everyone who is participating can start a new narrative thread when they yeah when they just relate to the title of uh, for example of the of the whole thing um yeah you can find this thesis uh, at transmedia-manifest.com if you're interested and but uh, for our collective uh, there's a big problem with this thesis because uh, the main question of these people was how to continue to earn money with storytelling in the digital age and for us, this manifesto is not about uh, emancipatory poetry, which we need in our society. For us, this manifesto is a complete neoliberal uh, project, just to make this clear. I mean, we, we are related to, to this manifesto, but we, in the same time, we criticize this. But I mean, it's just fair. It wasn't our idea or something. There were people who worked on transmedia ideas for many years, so uh, yeah. Um, so, but anyway, um, we used 
this thesis to create an emancipatory um, uh, theatre project based on a poetry of Mimesis 2.0. Uh, and um, I mean, I'm a scholar for literature, so I just say this one sentence that we think this poetry is related to ideas of German early romanticism and to be concrete to progressive universal poetry. So, all I want to say is that the whole occupation of the Volksbühne is an artwork. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't an occupation. Uh, we occupied the Volksbühne with an artwork. Maybe you saw the picture at the homepage of uh, Meteor Festival. And you see uh, the blue banner, which says Doch Kunst. And Doch Kunst means art after all in English. But doch, at the same time, is a very strong German word. I don't know if you know that. Doch is like uh, one of the first words all children learn when they start, start speaking. Parents say no, and the child says doch, no, doch, no, doch. This is kind of a game all parents have to go through. So uh, doch Kunst means really like, you know, we don't care what you will say. This is art. Because we knew people would say, ah, oh, come on. This is just, I know, some people running into a theater, they don't know anything about theater, they're not cast off, they're not polished, and Derken, the uh, director, he's this, uh, the expert and so on. So, but what happened before? Um, in 2015, the state secretary for culture announced, like out of the blue for many of us, that Chris Durkin, um, the director of the Modern Tate Gallery in London, will be the next director of the Volksbühne. Uh, the art scene, and to be precise, the socialist and communist, or at least the left art and theater scene, totally freaked out. They were like, are you fucking kidding me? Chris Durkin, the one from, from London, this neoliberal, I don't know, peep, you know? And um, he should take over the Volksbühne. I mean, are you crazy? And um, a war in German feuilleton started. And of course, there were many different opinions. I mean, there were the conservatives and the social democrats, and they said, yeah, wow, but this could be a chance for the city, you know? It's good for tourism, there would be many international artists, and I mean, he knows what he's talking about, he, he's a curator for so many years, and I don't know. And yeah, and I mean, and for others, it was just a catastrophe. And... Um, and we know, of course, that the radical left perspective, and we are uh, um, not only an artist collective or a free artist collective, we are an artist collective from the radical left, uh, that our perspective is a minority, minority uh, perspective, of course. And, you know, I want to give you one example. There was this TV show, it's called At Arte. It's called uh, Through the Night With, uh, with and they're always famous people. And so there was the show with uh, Chris Durkin before he came to the Volksbühne, uh, Through the Night With Chris Durkin. And he was sitting in the car and saying, yeah, you know what my secret is? My secret is that I'm chilling with the 1%, with the really rich people, you know, and they give me money so that I can support progressive artists. And, I mean, we were sitting in front of the, and we were like, 
what? I mean, did he just say that? And I mean, this was really, I mean, this was an opinion that people said, yeah, you know, he knows so many people, he will bring money and he will finance art uh, because we have, have financial problems in Berlin and there are so many artists, everyone's coming to Berlin and so we need money and maybe he will organize it. But I mean, for us, it's just art washing what he's doing. And he's still doing it. I mean, he, now he's the head of the museums in uh, Paris, of all national museums in, in Paris, and he's a, a millionaire. Okay, so in 2016, uh, there was an open letter by over 170 employees of the Volksbühne, um, in which was just said they don't really want uh, Tristan to take over the house and so on, and nothing happened. And then... Um, in January 2017, we became part of the game. <laughs> so at this uh, moment, there was an occupation of the Institute for Social Sciences uh, of the Humboldt University in Berlin. And that occupation, this is a long story, but this, that occupation took uh, place because one of the most important scientists for gentrification and city development and fighter, of course, against gentrification uh, from the left. André Holm lost his job over a Stasi scandal. Uh, I, there was a story like when he was 18 years old, he signed a paper and he was member of the uh, secret service of the GDR for six weeks. Or I don't know what. It was just uh, the social democrats came up with this because there was this new coalition in Berlin, Berlin from, up from 2016 between the social democrats, the Green Party and uh, the left, Die Linke. And yeah, and the Die Linke wanted André Holm to be the state secretary of city development and the social democrats didn't want that. And so uh, they came out with the story of his membership of the secret service and uh, he was fired. And he was also fired uh, at the Humboldt University. And this is when, uh, that was the moment when, uh, when students said, no, we are going to occupy this place and we want him to stay. And they won the fight. Uh, yeah, he got his job back. And at this time, some dramaturgs from the Volksbühne went to these occupying students and uh, asked them if they could imagine to occupy the Volksbühne too, for them. Because they didn't, the whole house, or most of the people in the house, didn't want Chris Durkin to be the new director. They want, I mean, some of them wanted Kastoff uh, uh, to stay, others had other plans. I mean, there are many thousands of people involved in this whole story. So... You will hear many different stories about uh, this. Um, but long story short, so the students, uh, the occupiers, or some of them said, yes, uh, we could imagine this. And up from that moment, meetings began uh, in the Volksbühne. I mean, the first meetings for the occupation took place in the Volksbühne itself with, uh, with the staff, some technicians, some dramaturgs, authors, and so on. And um, students, artists, some, everyone uh, could bring someone. And so my story was I was in a club and uh, there was a, I didn't even know her. She was an author and she came to me like, Sarah, did you hear, like, did you hear about the occupation of the Volksbühne? I was like, no, there will be an occupation. When? Where? Yeah, we have meetings in the Volksbühne. You should really come. That's so cool. And so on. I was like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> I didn't. I mean, everybody, everybody in Berlin knew about this uh, war, 
so I said, and I was searching for a new project uh, for a new novel because I just published my second novel and was searching for a new project. I, I thought like, and I love the Volksbühner. I went there for 20 years. My father uh, uh, took me there when I was 16 and I didn't understand anything, but I was uh, thrilled. And since then I, I went to the Volksbühne as, uh, yeah, as an audience member. So um, my first meeting with these people uh, was the 27th of March in 2017. And this was the day when the people of the Volksbühne said to us, uh, no, we changed our minds. Uh, please don't occupy the Volksbühne. We don't want this anymore. I know we are talking. We know we are talking now for two months, but yeah, maybe this could damage our careers, you know. And the the building, it's an historical building, and it's it's very expensive. And if anyone said, if if there's just one single nail nail in the wrong wall, you know, you're all going to jail, and this is very dangerous. And please don't come. And at the same day, we had a meeting in the evening, and we I was like, but we are still occupying or not? I mean, for what am I am I here? And so we decided, okay, we uh, keep on working. <laughs> and uh, we just thought, I mean, they will not uh, fall in, uh, in our bags when we come, or, or won't they, or will they? So, um, uh, yeah, we continu uh, continued our meetings, and uh, one or two weeks later, we decided that the whole intervention uh, should be an art, uh, a piece of art. And the working title was just performance, because we... We didn't talk much about the theory uh, in the beginning, and we organized ourselves in working groups. And I was a member of the working group called Cooperation. And our job was to swarm out uh, into the city and talk to people. We talked to activists, scientists, politicians, political groups, tenants initiatives, Antifa groups, of course, uh, artist collectives, theaters, filmmakers, we went to galleries, to hack spaces, to Kufa collectives. I don't know if you have Kufas here in Norway. I don't know the word in English. It's just a kitchen for all. So some people, it's, yeah, it's about donations. Some people pay, who are rich pay a lot and others don't have to pay for the food. And it's about food sharing and so on. Yeah, we talked to club collectives and because we had, that's already dying out, we had a, a, um, a huge and, I mean, world-famous um, um, club uh, scene of the radical left in Berlin. And, yeah, we also contacted journalists to work with them quite early in the process. And, I mean, because transmedia also mean, means that we need the mainstream media. We need, how, we need to know how to play the media. We need to know how the mainstream media works and how to deal with this. Uh, and how to analyze, like, every day the situation when we were in the house and so on. And uh, in the end, around 3,000 people, I talked to most of them in person, so <laughs> it was really uh, hard work. I mean, we were standing up every day and swarming out and talking to people, like every day for a month. So um, uh, in the end, there were 3,000 people who said that they could imagine to show up and participate when the performance, like this was our working title, uh, would start. And then it was the weekend of the German elections in 2017, um, and B60-112 um, started. And now I want to show you a short video so that you can have a little... Okay, where's the other? Here. Um, that you have a little impression 
of what happened there. You have to imagine we didn't use the big stage. We just used the two saloons, the foyers and the outer area. And, um, and it was just about self-organizing. We just said to the people, we don't say anything. We are not the curators. You have, we, if you want to, uh, to, make, uh, to make this work, you have to work on it yourself. And so people, we had big planner with, I don't know, 300, 400, 500 people like every day. We, but immediately working groups uh, were founded. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, people just brought stuff. They brought techniques. They brought, I don't know, uh, um, um, music instrumenta. <laughs> what is the word in English? I'm sorry. Instruments. Instruments, yeah. Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, so, and what you will hear now, um, th there's a uh, voiceover in German, uh, and this was the original speech. Uh, of the of one of the members of the club collectives, um, which were our strongest partners, because he uh, he said in his speech, we will have a 96 hours rave up from now in the red saloon, so please come. And this was for us. Uh, I mean, it was good for us because there were a lot of uh, thousands of people who want to go to the Volksbühne. And the police and also the the uh, politicians um, wouldn't evacuate. This was just the plan to have this rave. And also, I mean, they are our partners, and they have problems with gentrification. So it was uh, it was not only a strategy or something. The mainstream media was saying in the first days, like, yeah, they are left extremists, and there's a lot of violence. We are all, I mean, when will the eviction start? Where's the police? Why does nobody uh, does anything about this? And so on. And then when uh, they saw at the second or third day, they saw that, okay, maybe nobody believes in us because we believes this because we came there with a security team. We had an awareness team. We had an awareness room. And, I mean, we were really... We, it, we had a good. Pre um, we were really prepared for for what we did, and uh, <laughs> yeah. And also, Chris Durkin was prepared because uh, I met him at the twenty third of August, uh, four weeks before, and I told him what is going to happen. And also, the cultural senator, of course, knew what will happen. And uh, Durkin was like, he didn't say no. He didn't say, don't come, or I will call the police or something like this. He said, um, his, uh, his uh, press person, uh, Johannes Ehmann, was with him. He said, like, oh, this sounds interesting. And you're right, gentrification is not that far uh, in Berlin, and maybe you can save uh, the city. And, yeah, and uh, do you know Paul Mason? Could you uh, imagine to talk with Paul Mason on the big stage and... And things like, well, oh, do you know Alexander Kluger? I would really like to uh, like to introduce you to Alexander. He's one of my best friends. And I was like, you know, Chris, even if I change sides now, I'm just a spokesperson. This will happen. So you have you have enough time now to think about uh, how you are going to react. And uh, and he was like, okay, thank you, thank you for the talk. And so and. He never he never uh, called again or something, and so we were like, okay, this is kind of a kind of a contract or not? I mean, in Germany you don't need a you don't need the written contract. It's also you can have this uh, verbal kind of contract. So, 
yeah, so we uh, thought like, okay, this is going to work. And I mean, when we came, he was freaking out and we had uh, hard negotiations in the back office with the police, with the cultural senator, and he never came out and talked to the crowd. Not one day. The first time he showed up was when he, the eviction took place, after six days. And before that, uh, he offered us the Green Saloon, and he said, you can have the Green Saloon, and, but uh, there's one, um, how I say, bedingung? One condition, no techno. And we were like, okay, this is not possible, but okay, we will discuss this in the huge plenum. And yeah, and then the next day we we couldn't find we couldn't find a solution. There was no we didn't vote for anything. And at the next morning at nine o'clock, uh, the police came. And but this was also okay. I mean, they didn't you know they didn't fight at us out or something. Chris Durkin was standing there and said, "You have thirty minutes to leave the house, and everyone who's still in the house after thirty minutes will be charged by the police, or I don't know, will have criminal charge, charges." And there were. 22 of them, and uh, yeah, it was not a big deal. Um, and then the next director came. His name uh, is Klaus Dörr, and he had to step uh, step back over a Me Too scandal just this March, like six months ago. And of course, we had something to do with this. I mean, we uh, yeah, we initiated the whole complaint uh, process of the of some of the women who suffered from his uh, power abuse and yeah so what is the situation now uh, the new director is René Polish and we i would say we have a friendly relationship since uh, may 2017 uh, we meet and uh, there are still negotiations or let's say conversations about b61.12 um yeah, and I mean, what we still want is to bring B6112, which is not over yet, which is still happening, uh, back to the Foxbühne as we planned it. We want the, both both of the saloons, we want the foyers and parts of the outer area, and we want to open the place for a self-organizing process for people who call themselves anti-racist, queer feminists, anti-capitalists, and people who are willing to think about how a socialist theater of the future could look like. We want transparency, of course. We want to document everything. We want to put protocols of meetings online, maybe translate them into different languages so that people from all over the world can participate. And uh, the most important thing is that we are not curators. We are against the idea of curating at all. Uh, and Stop zu Glitzer, this was the idea, uh, would, would split or separate or uh, don't exist anymore when we go back to the Volksbühne. We just want to be equals with other uh, equal people and yeah. Um, so my last sentences. And at the end of B6112, there we were going to have a new state theatre model. Um, developed and tried and tested by self-organized emancipated people who feel responsible for running the place in the future, the whole place. I mean, until that time, uh, the program which is uh, announced now can can still, uh, how I say, can stattfinden? 
can take place, yes, as, as it is planned. And, um, and of course, uh, that would mean, because it is a teleological theatre project, that uh, in the end, René Polish uh, will not be the director of the theatre anymore. So this is kind of a heavy thing in the conversations. <laughs> But uh, we are still on it, and we are not giving up, and I hope that uh, many other groups around the planet will follow us or adapt our, our artwork and uh, do something similar and take over the big institutions for themselves. And, yeah. and I hope also that maybe one day, these, you know, this Occupy Museums movement, uh, why didn't they stay? I mean, maybe you can tell more about this, but why didn't they say this is our place now and we are running this now? So, yeah, that's all. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Sarah. And um, so, if everybody comes back, uh, we have. A, I think we have. I mean, we are running a, a slightly late, uh, but uh, we have a maybe a s small conversation amongst us and open for more questions, and then we see how long we can go. Um, yeah. So René Polish is not yet convinced uh, to sign uh, to, to uh, sign the contract where at the end he's not in charge anymore. Um, but I think it's of course interesting in in terms of the. Uh, the in a way, there I see a certain similarity to the Occupy Museums, which of course are in a different situation. In New York, I mean, you, you don't do this. The police is there and you're out of MoMA within half an hour. So the, the confrontation with the police was, was different. It would also was interesting in this time, I think, to see what public sphere means. And actually, uh, yeah, so, so anyway, there, it's a bit a different situation. But what I find... Um, not maybe not the same, but a certain consequence out of also their thinking is is uh, they said okay we cannot talk to you because it will not lead to anything and you in a way say yeah we can enter the process but only if you go full on so we are not going to do uh, a lecture series uh, in the Volksbühne to be integrated so if we come we no want it all <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes so so that's the that's the thing so 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 before you come basically the, there has to be an agreement on the process. To it, so I think there's, a, I would say there's a similarity to to that uh, in in a way. I don't know. What, uh, maybe does one of you wants to react to 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 each other in a way to your lectures, uh, to I your talks so far? I want to react on Ahmed <laughs> <laughs> because I was thinking when I heard uh, what you said that um, we would call this project places, and we had many of them in Berlin, in Kreuzberg, in Neukölln. So, I mean, there were times that, you ha that we had three project places in every street in Kreuzberg. And what happened? There were people like uh, working there. May maybe they made a living out of it. They get funded and so on. And, uh, and then gentrification began. And they all lost their places. And, uh, they, and because they all had this small utopian, you know, spheres, they are not organized in in a whole. I mean, this is a problem that people are not organized. And I think this is just, I'm sorry to say that, but I really think that building up the small utopian places is wasting time. Because, I mean, we have to overcome capitalism. We have to overcome patriarchy and, and be very fast with this because of climate change and so on. So we really have to organize and be prepared for everything that is going to come so uh, and this is when you said like uh, this is the first thing and 
the second thing is that when you say uh, it doesn't work out, it was so hard, there were different opinions and so on. And I think like when you say this is too hard to stand or something, then you give up democracy. This is what democracy is about. We have to talk and we have to find arguments against or for something all the time. And this is just living in my eyes. Yeah, this works. Well, I'm not involved anymore in it, so. But but no, I will I will respond. Um, okay, in terms of uh, the second part, uh, which is the difficult, like wh what I mentioned as difficult situations, uh, I intentionally wanted to talk about the difficult parts of uh, uh, working in collective or assemblies because I think this part is uh, always uh, silenced or ignored or not uh, highlighted. And this part is also exactly for the same reason that you mentioned, I brought it in. It's part of the radical democratic process, is that it's not always uh, as portrayed, I mean, to the, uh, not always as dreamed that it could be. There is uh, a lot of conflicts uh, within these processes, and, I, and that's why I thought it's very important also to reflect on these conflicts, because these kind of arenas, I'm talking about now art spaces that has this radical democratic or radical openness, um, for me were, was an important experience, it's kind of rehearsing or practicing for, like practicing, how do you call it? It was a learning uh, process of practicing uh, something different. So uh, it, it, it kind of, uh, uh, it's, uh, it was at the same time uh, a political education uh, through practice. Um, as for uh, gentrification, the first uh, experience that I had, uh, I mean the experiment that I had with Third Space was actually located in an already uh, gentrificated uh, space. So it was uh, in the heart of the commercial center uh, um, and for the ones who stayed in that space thought that it's very, very important to maintain such a space in such uh, gentrification, like as a, as a, a resistance to gentrification, to, it's important to have that space that offers a uh, place for marginal forms and people on the margins in the center. In the in the in the question of uh, museum of impossible forms, I didn't have time to talk about it. That, uh, I was very much uh, before. Like uh, my idea was uh, that I wanted to go to this suburb that was built in the 60s f uh, for uh, migrant workers from the countryside to work in in the city during the industrialization period of uh, Finland after the Second World War. And the structure of the infrastructure there, I mean, the the, the, the space is located in a, a mall that is built uh, in the 70s. The mall is uh, this old mall, so uh, probably you have them here in, in, in Norway, or at least in Scandinavia, this kind of social democratic project where you have the library, the church, and uh, and uh, youth center. And then you have a, a few shops, which are the post and uh, and a bank and a kiosk and a grocery shop. But now it's not functioning anymore like that because of, I mean, capitalism and et cetera. But uh, the structure of the, um, of the location 
uh, cannot gen be gentrified uh, because it's run by out by nowadays uh, immigrant run um, uh, how do you call them uh, shops what a um, I mean, in the sense that it's not, it's not. There is, there is very limited space for gentrification. I, it's, it's a lot of details, and I think um, we don't have time to go through it. But I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say, the architecture of these spaces would not allow gentrification unless they demolish it down. And this is what is going to happen, actually, uh, and not because we have an art space over there, but uh, because the city wants to generate a. A safe spaces with no junkies and alcoholics, and uh, and uh, would uh, like to build more uh, social apartments for rent, cheaper rent. So, uh, but they are negotiating with the space also, like what it could be to have something similar in the future. Uh, but still, in the process. Yeah. But it was, I mean, just, I think it's a very interesting story. Um, I learned a lot about it because we had these heated discussions in Helsinki about is it gentrification or not, what, is, what, what you are actually doing when you go there. And you opened my eyes for, for how extremely bourgeois our imagination is. We have a very bourgeois imagination. We have two possibilities. One is city center, and the other one is the margins that are gentrified. But, I mean... You might not, we might not never go there, but there are many margins that are actually not gentrified. And they have a lot of economies then. What I learned from you is that the rent in this shopping mall is higher than in the city center because there is a very specific economy for it. It's the economy that goes together with the immigration law. And as we know, the immigration law is based on the fact that if you open a shop, if you are an entrepreneur, it's much more likely that you, that you can stay. This is why you will have a huge population of migrants who will be forced by the system to be entrepreneurs and who will need spaces where they will have shops, which, of course are very expensive to rent. This is why the rent there, great economy, is higher than in the city center. And actually, just to think about that now for Germany, the reason, I mean, the whole NSU murders are related to this fact that this, there's a very specific relation between economy and immigration law that, make, that forces people into having shops. And then they have shops, and the terror was actually attacking the shops. So... Talking about this, I think that your project was so interesting because it, it comes from another knowledge. It comes from another imagination than only the Im imagination city center gentrified, gentrified margins. Yeah. And the imagination of this is actually already in the bad way pre-enacting the gentrification because these projects... They already happen because there is money that is actually already looking for and so on. But this was absolute not, absolutely not the case in your case. Yeah, I mean, when we were looking for a space, um, <coughs> it was a time when uh, there was a kind of a recession in that neighborhood, in that uh, mall. And one of the space owners uh, promised uh, us a place, a uh, big space, something like that for 1,500 euros a, no, a month, something like that. And we were waiting for a, a, a grant uh, decision that if we get it, we will rent it. Uh, the, the grant came three months after, 
the, that we were we are getting that grant for a year. By that time, the space price went to three thousand, and I was quite shocked. I was like, "What's going on?" And he said, "Look, there is two since two thousand fifteen. There is so much, uh, you know, with the with the arrival of uh, um, many." Um, Refugees, asylum seekers. Uh, there was also uh, this is something is not talked about mostly in media. People brought money with them, and they were also consuming, uh, consuming. Um, uh, this money was also consumed and put into businesses. So they built authentic, let's say, Iraqi restaurants and uh, closer shops. And then, since now there is more more of this uh, kind of uh, community, this community would rather come to eat here and go somewhere else. And the demand for a space was very high. So it's, uh, it's a gentrification, but a gentrification of a different, like, let's say, a group. And it was already gentrified, but from a totally, like, um, how do you call it, different imagina imagination. And um, what I'm I was yeah, and and that was difficult to explain to co um, co art like friends and 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 the art scene in Helsinki that actually it's already gentrificated, but you don't see it because you see it from the kind of a white uh, non-white uh, you know um, this kind of division, but uh, it doesn't mean that if it's not uh, alto. Uh, Alvar Alto design or well structured uh, restaurant, it, it, it doesn't mean that it's not gentrificated. You just have to see it through this parallel economy, the flow of money that's happening all the time. Yeah. Um, no, actually, I also wanted to ch uh, maybe bring the topic to some, something else. My, the question that I would have to all of us is yours, actually. You had the question are curators and assemblies contradictions? I think. For me, this is an interesting question. I mean, also, it would be a question to you that you <laughs> um, you are a curator of assemblies, no? Um, maybe we should discuss if this is a contradiction or not. Uh, well, it, it definitely is, but I think uh, maybe to, st to stick because... Well, this is not. This I would not say curating assemblies. So this is just a talk. But but uh, of course there are, there are artists there are artistic assemblies happening which have curators, artists, and so on involved. Uh, this are also part of our conversation. I think most close would, to our discussion today would be probably the concept of artist organizations, which in a way is like the museums you were mentioning. There are many others examples in the last also ten years. I mean before, of course, but there's a kind of a, a wave in the last ten years of uh, of artists. Uh, um, creating institutions as their artistic work, so not as a production body or whatever, but the artistic work is like the museum that an artist creates. The the the, the institution is is the work. Um, there are many quite quite a few examples of schools, of uh, academies, of um, uh, research bodies, but uh, uh, but also yeah, um, also other kind of institutions uh, where which are artist created, and there of course would be the. The, the question then in the next step, and they are very different examples, how inclusive are they? How much are they connected to the surrounding? Uh, I, the idea of curating in an open assembly, of course, is a bit bit absurd. But maybe what I think, in, uh, I think it's really, uh, it's really 
A great choice of uh, speakers. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, that uh, that your two examples are, are quite interesting in in the way. I mean, in many ways. But I think like occupying the center and saying no, we need the most representative stage available, the, and this is the place where we need to go. And working in the margins, and uh, and obviously there's a contradiction. But at the same time, I think for me this would go very well together. And I think I, I quite like that you again also pointed out uh, because I, I sympathize with the idea of. Uh, Occupying small spaces. I mean, this. I mean, also, I started in a collective uh, some years ago, and and we did this. And I, I would agree that the question is, would this lead to anything? And and I like the approach to say, no, let's go to the big space. On the other hand, there are other economies, other backgrounds, and so on. So how they come together. So I would not see this as the as I mean, there are contradictions, but not as the, an absolute contradiction. The other thing is sustainability. The, you yeah. described it also. I think like a represented. Uh, representing many uh, people having experience with collective work as, as very um, uh, demanding and also kind of like um, sucking out energy. And, and you describe an example of, uh, uh, of learning also from a lot of activist strategies of organizing maybe in a different way, even so burnout is also a common, a common thing among, among activists, so it's not uh, preventing from that. But, but that how to make this uh, sustainable uh, be, be beyond the... Uh, the the self-made trying to build a collective and and having all the experiences that come come with it so this would be maybe trying to link it together again to to find out uh, uh, what are the ways of of uh, of creating institutions that can can be assemblies and collectives at the same time this was not a question but uh, maybe you want to <laughs> somebody wants to pick it up <laughs> Please don't get me wrong. I'm not against occupying small places. I'm absolutely pro-occupying everything. Supermarkets, PR agencies, and I don't care, police stations, everything. So, <laughs> this, okay. Because, I'm, I mean, I just think when I look at Berlin and see all these small utopian places uh, fail now, this makes me so sad. And this is also there's also a potential in it, because uh, these people are organizing now. They have this Deutsche Wohnen and Co. and Eignen. So they are uh, what is an Eignen uh, in English? Expropriate. To expropriate uh, uh, big um, um, oh God, Immobilien uh, Unternehmen. <laughs> Real estate, uh, uh, yeah, concerns and so on, uh, companies, and I mean, there's a potential in all this, but but there are also, I mean, they there are people who just spend all their lives in these project rooms and they lost everything now, or they are losing. They are like small libraries and bookshops and everything, collective run, uh, collectively run re restaurants and everything. And I just think that this is not the solution for the future to have these small places, because yeah, the the uh, das Kapital is just stronger than these small places. Yeah. Um, well, um, I think uh, we need uh, the question around uh, institutions and institution change. I I, I do think that the, the and I think Chantel Move also talks about it that. Um, in terms of um, poli like po political parties and 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 and, and changing democracy, is that the, there is a need for resistance, like pr protest and resistance, uh, ground ground uh, like uh, f force on the ground to pressure the institution, but at the same time 
there, there is also a need for uh, for other which I call parallel parallel like in, um, ec parallel economies of uh, production to exp like experimental that uh, that could kind of um, uh, ex uh, explore other ways of doing things, and uh, th these parallel uh, places contribute to the art field all the time. So they are not only opposing, but they are by critique and and kind of whatever you call it, decolonize, uh, um, uh, how do you call it, uh, deconstruct or do things differently, dealing. They also contribute while criticizing. They contribute something new to the art. And, uh, and and these two forces uh, are required. The occupation or the protest and also the kind of experimental imagination. and imagination. And uh, and they go to they go along. Now I kind of I mean I'm sad. I, I had uh, I had to push myself out or I burned myself out or I made everybody angry at me. I'm I'm really sad about it and when, uh, and it's very emotional and also kind of I was left out of uh, you know um, self victimization uh, uh, uh how do you call it like I I kind of like I left without like how can I describe I cannot describe in my in my uh a professional uh, biographer, how do you call it, like bio or something that I was uh, the f like the 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 one who was after all all of that. You know, I cannot claim it. Part of this project is like you cannot claim it, or if you claim it, this is an opportunity. Uh, people will hate you. You will have a lot of uh, enemies, more enemies than than uh, you have now. But but what I kind of uh, was left with is that I can see that uh, many of us who were involved have uh, their own. Uh, it was like a, 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 a their own careers going on. It opened spaces. It opened a discourse, other discourse, and it opened also uh, other venues in the institution. So it's it's it's, it's uh, 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 and whenever uh, we were invited in the institution, we ah. Uh, we 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 uh, like in documenta now. We kind of wanted to push it more to the limits. So when uh, me and Chris had uh, to uh, write our thesis, we decided to write it together as a uh, as a uh, kind of a collective writing. And also, it, it it wasn't that easy in the beginning for the institution to explore it. When uh, the institution invited us to create something, we would take it to the extreme. So they opened boundaries for more people to come to share it with us. And of course, this can turn against uh, the whole project. It can t The out result is not probably aesthetically amusing, or, but the whole idea of pushing the limits within the institution is uh, something that we also kind of try to do. Brut, new art on stage.